everyone. Welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. This week we're continuing looking at Romans chapter 13 and this week we're thinking about how Paul turns what we normally think about a good moral life on its head. Most of us think that life is just about uh, living in our own lane and not hurting other people. But that's not how Paul sees the Christian life, that we actually have an obligation to one another. Just to let you know that there is more content available on the YouTube channel as well. There is a regular Bible study where we've been going through Isaiah recently and there's also a course on holiness. And this last week we were thinking about true humility and what that looks like. So do have a look at the YouTube channel if you haven't checked it out already. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible then there are various ways of doing that. There's a page down below which gives you details and don't forget that you can always leave a rating and a review in your podcast provider as that would really help me out. So thanks so much everyone, God bless and I hope you enjoy the sermon. I'll see you again soon. So over the last few weeks we've been looking at the so what of the gospel message. You know that in the opening chapters of Romans Paul has sort of been through in great detail what the gospel message is and that's what we've been working our way through. And now we're turning to that question, so what? What difference should it actually make in the way that we are? What difference should it make in the way that we are with one another as a church? And this is where I think what Paul is doing today is turning our expectations on their head. Now I think the way that most people think about living life today is do what you want so long as you're not hurting someone else. So you know as long as you're not actually hurting someone else then you don't need to worry just do do whatever you want and you know other people kind of play a, a background role in your life but don't hurt them. I think that's the way that most people think about uh, a life today. And what Paul is saying is that we need to have that turned on its head as Christians. We need to do things differently. So let's look into what Paul says. This is Romans 13 verses uh, 8 to, to 14. So Paul starts out by talking about debt And you remember just at the end of the the last passage we looked at last week, he said, give to everyone what you owe them. Um, You know, if you owe taxes, pay taxes and, and so on and so forth. So it's just continuing that thought. But he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So he says, you know, make sure you pay your debts. But there is one debt which will always be outstanding no matter what. That is the debt to love one another. That's the debt that he's, he's talking about. Now, you've probably not really thought about love like that before. This idea that love is a debt that we owe. You know, it, it, it's something that we owe to one another, that, that other people deserve from us. Because that's not how we typically think of, of other people, is it? You know, we typically think that as long as we're not harming other people, then we don't owe them anything. As long as that we're not harming other people, then we don't owe them anything. That's the way that most people think about it. And we don't think about the duty that we have to love others, especially within the church. So what I'd like to do is paint two different uh, scenarios just to help us 
uh, understand this a, a bit better to, to understand the contrast here. So um, firstly, imagine that there is someone that you know, maybe someone in your church, um, you know, someone who's perhaps quite wealthy and they, you know, go to the, the posh supermarkets, you know, they go to Waitrose, they go to M&S food and all, and they, they always have nice food in their house. And you, as someone who likes nice food, you always think, oh, you know, I wish that I could, I could have, you know, what they have, the food that they have. And so one time you, you go to their house and you have a look in their, in their cupboards and, you know, you just sweep a bunch of their stuff into your bag without them noticing, you know, you just take it. Now, most of us, I think, can recognise, if not all of us, can recognise, you know, that is stealing and that is wrong. You know, that's not the way that we should be. We shouldn't take what someone else has. And we can recognise that as a wrong thing. But let me give you the other scenario. Imagine that there's someone else in your church who doesn't have very much food, who doesn't have very much money. Imagine that this other person actually is really struggling to find enough. But imagine that you think, well, let the government look after them, let the food banks look after them. It's not my place to give from what I have for, for their needs. It's not my job, you know? I'm just gonna stay in my lane. I'm just gonna live my life, feed myself and my family, and they, it doesn't mean anything. You know, that, that they can just do whatever, um, you know, other people can provide for them. Now, I think we can see something of how that, that's uncaring, but would we really think that was wrong in the same way as the first example? And this is exactly what I believe Paul is saying to us, that we need to see the second example as being just as wrong as the first. That to see the opportunity to do good and to provide and, and so on, and not take it, is just as bad as to actively harm someone. That's what Paul is saying that it is sinful to withhold love from someone else, to, to withhold love from another, especially um, fellow Christians. This is what James says, um, James chapter 4 and verse 17. Um, James says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So James says that if we know what we should do and we fail to do it, that is sin. You know, sin is not just actively harming other people, like, for example, stealing from them. Sin is knowing what we should do, the good thing that we should do, and not doing it as well. That is, that is also sin. And if we're honest, I think that is the much greater sin in our lives, isn't it? You know, the, the, the times when we actively do something to, to hurt other people. Now, yes, we do do that, um, we, especially if you're, you know, living, like, I always find living in a family, 
And it's very easy to, you know, if you wake up, you get out the wrong side of bed in the morning and, you know, it's very easy to act in ways which are not, which are not good and kind. But that's not the same as withholding love. And that is wrong as well. And that is a far bigger um, aspect of sin, which we rarely think about. I remember the moment that the, the penny dropped for me or the penny began to drop for me. Uh, I didn't really think about this actually until I was at Bible college. And then when I was at Bible college, uh, I remember in some lectures, we were looking at um, justification, which is a topic that um, Paul talks a lot about in Romans actually, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But I remember it just hit me that, you know, that's why we need the righteousness of Christ because we don't do the things that God wants us to do and that we need Christ in order to help us not just to forgive us of the actual bad things that we've done but of the good things that we failed to do you know that's why we need Jesus and that's why we need help every day and that really hit me at the time you know that sin is not just the bad things that we do but when we fail in our obligation to love our neighbour and to love others, especially in, in the church. Um, uh, that sin is when we fail. And this is why Paul says love is the fulfilment of the law. He says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, what does he, he mean by that? This is, this is what he goes on to explain in these next couple of verses. So he says uh, here in verse 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. So Paul says these commands, which are, you know, dealing with, the, if you like, those sort of horizontal relationships, the relationships between us and other people. So, you know, um, uh, you, not, you shall not commit adultery and you shall not murder, for example. Um, these are fulfilled in the command to love one another. And that's what Paul, the point that Paul is making. How is that the case? And he, he goes on to say, um, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. So Paul says, if we love our neighbours, if we intend to, to love them, then we won't harm them because love and harm are opposites. So love is, is wanting to do good, wanting the best for our neighbour and harm is not wanting what's good for them. So if we, if we genuinely love them, then maybe we won't love them perfectly in, in this life, but we won't harm them because if we love them, even imperfectly, then we will want the best for them and we won't harm them. So that's what Paul is saying. Love is the fulfilment of the law. If we love, we will do everything that God requires of us in the law. If our love is genuine and godly, we will do everything that God requires of us in the law. That's what Paul is saying. And what he is, what he's basically talking about here is replacing a negative with a positive. 
uh, he is saying, yes, don't, don't harm. Yes, that's the negative, but do love. You know, take, take the negative away, but replace it with a positive. And this is something we recognize, don't we, that, that the importance of doing that, of not saying, you know, just don't do that, but actually, you know, don't do that, yes, but do this instead. You know, it's something that we need to do as human beings. Imagine, for example, that someone who wanted to, to get fit and who'd been living an unhealthy lifestyle, you know, you wouldn't just say to them, stop eating 20 Mars bars a day, you know, stop sitting on the couch and watching your favorite TV shows, watching Trisha or whatever it is, you know, all day, you know, stop watching uh, those things and stop eating unhealthily. That, that wouldn't really help, would it? You know, that you need to actually take the bad habits, the, bad, the, the unhealthy eating, the unhealthy habits, and you need to replace them with good ones. So you need to say, well, yes, don't eat 20 Mars bars a day. Instead, try and eat healthy food, try and eat healthy snacks and eat, you know, fruit and vegetables, you know, eat, eat properly. And similarly, yes, don't sit on the sofa and watch TV all day. You know, but get outside, get, you know, go running, go swimming, go on the bike or, you know, get some exercise, get, go do sports, spend time with friends. You know, so, so replace your unhealthy habits with healthy ones. That's what we recognize that you need to do in order to get healthy. And this is, again, similarly, what Paul is saying, that it's not just about stop doing bad things to others, not just about stop sinning, stop harming other people, but you know, stop that, but, but do love them instead. That's, that's the key thing, the key message that Paul is saying. Yes, don't harm them, but do love them. And that's, that's what God always intended. Now, this is the way that life was always meant to be. And it was never meant to be, you know, we just live life by staying in our own lane uh, without reference to other people. But God always intended it that we should love others and that we should live our lives, you know, in, in community, looking to love um, those around us and looking to, to do uh, what God wants us to. So, so that's God's intention for our our lives. Now, in this uh, second half of the passage, Paul kind of he, he moves on, but he he just talks about the urgency of this, the urgency of the situation, why it is that we need to pay attention. Uh, he says, um, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So Paul says, look, wake up. You know, the time has come. Salvation is nearer. Uh, Paul is saying that Jesus has, Jesus has come. The, the first coming has happened and we now await Jesus' return, the second coming. You know, he came to purify himself, uh, purify for himself a people. You know, Jesus came to cleanse us. Jesus came not so that we could carry on living in sin, but so that we could begin to do what was right, so that we could, be, we could begin to live in those ways of love. That's why Jesus came. So Paul says, wake up, you know, wake up and smell the coffee. Look at, look at what Jesus has come to do. You know, start living in, in that 
in that way. And this is what he, he goes on to say, verses 12 and 13. He says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. And so Paul says, look, change your behaviour. Don't live anymore like it's, it's still, you're still in darkness. Don't live anymore like Jesus hasn't come, like we don't know what the, the right way is. You know, don't live anymore like that. We need to live in the light now. We need to live in the right ways. You know, Jesus has come and we await the second coming. It's, it's drawing near. We need to be looking to that and we need to be in the way that we are with one another and, and in the way that we are in, in the church. You know, we need to be more and more living and behaving uh, in that way, you know, in, in the godly ways, in ways which are, you know, um, anticipating the second coming. It's very similar, actually, to what Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament. So he says uh, in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 to 9. Here we go. Well, Th Thessalonians is one of those books of the New Testament, which is, um, I, I think it's probably not one of Paul, one of the two Thessalonians, not Paul's most common letters. You know, might you might tend to think of other places. So it's a little bit of a, I always think going to Thessalonians is one of those um, passages where, you know, maybe a, a little bit less familiar to us. At 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 to 9, very similar to what he says here, uh, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you belong now to the day, so live according to the day. You know, live according to the day. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. And our behaviour should reflect the behaviour which now belongs to the, the light, which belongs to the light of living in Christ's kingdom. And what kind of thing should that look like? Um, well, Paul mentions a few different things, and I, I was thinking it'd be interesting to to think about what Paul might have said if he was writing today, because I think it, it, there are a lot of there are probably similar things that he would have picked up on. He says, "Let us behave decently, um, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. Carousing and drunkenness. We still get that, don't we? You know, we still get drunkenness. I mean, it's it's been a few years since I had a regular job." But I remember my work colleagues at the time, they used to talk about, you know, um, going out at the weekends and, and getting drunk and, and so on. That kind of thing used to go on. I have a feeling that it, it, that may have changed a little bit sort of post in a post-COVID world. You know, I think perhaps people are going out less, but maybe they're just drinking at home more. I, I don't know. Um, but it's still a problem, isn't it? You know, getting drunk. It's still very much around. Um, and he mentions um, sexual immorality and debauchery. And again, those things still go on, even if, again, the world looks different to how it did back in Paul's day. 
there is still sexual immorality. You know, people are there's still pornography on the internet. You know, that's a that's a huge temptation. That's a huge problem. Um, and there are there are other ways as well in which we you know depart from God's God's standards. Um, as a society, in fact, we're, we're a long way away from the standards of love that God requires of us. Um, and he mentions uh, dissension and jealousy. And I wonder here, actually, if um, what he might have mentioned, if this had been today, is things like social media. You know, why is it that people go onto social media and post lots of selfies and, and pictures of, of themselves, you know, and their, their stuff? You know, is, it, is it because they're saying, look, look at my stuff, it's far better than yours? You know, look at my stuff. I've got all of this. Look at my wonderful life. Look, you know, aren't I looking good? And 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 it's all self-centered, and it just to provoke other people to jealousy. I wonder if if Paul was writing this today, he would say, look, don't post that selfie. Don't t- take those selfies. It's not helpful. You know, just focus on other people. Focus on their needs, and don't focus on trying to make them jealous of the things that you have. I wonder if Paul would say something like that. And there are, there are lots of, of different ways, you know, there are lots of things that Paul might say. Um, and maybe we could think and pray about the ways in which we live, where we're living in a, in a self-centred way, rather than living in a loving way and thinking about what's best for others. So how do we do all of this? And we appreciate that this is, you know, what Paul is asking is hard. It's impossible, really, for us, isn't it? This is what the last verse is about. Paul says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to put on Christ. We need to, uh, to, to wear, if you like, Christ. You know, as in when you get up, one of the most important things about getting up in the morning, you need to take off your pyjamas and put on your day clothes. Uh, unless you like, you know, my children when they're having a, a pajama day, which seems to be most days when they're not at school and they're not doing anything, you know, they just love to wear their pajamas all day. But we don't do that, don't we, as, as adults, when we go out into the world. You wouldn't go to work wearing your pajamas. You wouldn't go out to the shops wearing your pajamas, uh, most likely. You know, that we need to, we need to actually put on our day clothes. We need to be ready for the day. And what Paul is saying is we need to put on Christ. We need to remember Christ in our day-to-day lives. And uh, it says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And what I think he means by that is remember remember who we belong to. We need to remember that we are now belonging to Christ. You know, we, we now belong to him. He's bought us with his blood. We are no longer to live in the old ways that we used to live, but he is our master, and he's our captain. We serve him. So we need, to, we need to read his word. We need to read what he has to say to us day by day. We need to pray to him. We need to, to repent of our sins, and we need to ask for his help in living in his ways. That's what it means, I think, to put on Christ, is just to, to remember whose we are and to, to trust in him to, to lead us forward day by day in his strength in order to be able to live in in the ways of of righteousness in in the light so 
let's take a moment then just to draw these threads together a little bit. I think that one of the, the most important things that Paul is saying to us is that love is not some kind of optional extra for Christians. It is actually the essence of Christianity. It's not an optional extra, it is the essence of Christianity. It's the, the essence of what, how God wants us to live. Um, and I think this, is, this will require a real mindset change in us. You know, rather than thinking, well, I just need to live my life doing what I want to do, and I won't step on anyone else's toes. I won't hurt anyone else. I won't steal from them. I won't, you know, do anything bad to them. But I'm just going to live my life without reference to them. That's not the way. That that may be the world's way, but that's not God's way. You know, we need to be thinking instead. This this mindset change of how instead can we love others? How instead can we actually? You know serve other people how can we change in order to to use what God has given us to help other people and it's the it's the complete opposite way round to the way that the world tends to do things you know it's not about staying in our lane just doing not stepping on anyone else's toes but rather it's thinking how can we how can we love and give what what you know through what God has given us and we do need the help of the Holy Spirit you know that this is the thing that it's not about our own strength this is not about trying hard to be nice and i've tried to make that clear all the way through as we've gone through romans but that's absolutely not the message of the new testament you know try hard to be nice that is not it at all it is saying god's ways of love are higher than you can manage it's not about trying hard it is about actually asking for god's help recognizing that we fall short because uh, I think part of the problem with love is that we don't realize how difficult it is until we've tried it you know but then when we actually recognize how hard it is then we can seek God's help and he can give us that which we don't have ourselves and we need to recognize how important this is we need to recognize that this is not something which is you know, like, like I said, an optional extra, but this is the, the urgency of the situation as Paul closes out with. There is an urgency to this that we need to not just think, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll get around to it in 10 years time. But now is the time. Today is the day, every day. And we need to, we need to be looking to God to help us day by day. Let me finish by quoting you from Francis Schaeffer. Um, this is, you know, I quoted um, Schaeffer last week as well, but this is a different book. This is called The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And uh, it's actually from the end of the book, there's, there's an appendix, just a little, a little piece that he wrote called The Mark of the Christian. But let me read you what he says about loving one another. The church is to be a loving church in a dying culture. How then is the dying culture going to consider us? Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. In the midst of the world, in the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. 
Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the evidence of our observable love towards all Christians. That's pretty frightening. Jesus turns to the world and says, I've got something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the evidence of the love he shows to all Christians. In other words, if people come up to us and cast in our teeth the judgment that we are not Christians because we have not shown love towards other Christians, we must understand that they are only exercising a prerogative which Jesus gave them. And we must not get angry. If people say, you don't love other Christians, we must go home, get down on our knees and ask God whether or not what they say is true. And if it is true, then they have a right to have said what they said. Jesus, I think this is an extraordinary passage where Schaefer says Jesus gave the right to the world to say you, you, can, you can judge the church on the basis of whether they love one another. If they love one another, it's genuine. And if they don't, it's not. That's the right that Jesus gave the church. That's why it's so important, especially in a world today where there's so little love in the world. There's so little genuine community and care for one another. This is why it's so important for us to focus on this, to, to actually ask God to help us to love and to demonstrate the reality that God is living here among us in the church and that we do love one another in, a, in that supernatural way. Let's ask God for his help as we think about that over these, this coming week. Heavenly Father, we know that this is uh, hard to do. We recognise that what Paul says here turns the way that we normally think about one another uh, on its head. And that rather than just individual going, individuals going about our everyday lives, not wanting to hurt others, you actually want us to be people who have an obligation to love one another. And we pray that you would give us the strength to be able to do that, to own up to when we don't love and to be able to seek your help in order to love um, uh, those who you've called us to. So we pray that you would grant us real love, that which is beyond what we can do ourselves. And we pray that you would help us to show that to the world, recognising the urgency of this situation. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.